0: Today's anecdotal experience is sponsored by GoPro. Get a GoPro and do some serious tricks on a skateboard. If you buy a GoPro and wear it to go on a hike, you're playing yourself. Buy a skateboard and start learning how to rip it up on a half pipe, homie. Put that GoPro to good use.
1: It's the... Yeah, no. It's the Anecdotal Experience Podcast. Thought it was a different podcast, another podcast. Why would that be the case? Today's guest is Lauren Hutton. Dude was adopted by his stepdad. Think about that. Wrap your brain around it. It's crazy out here in the streets. This was fun. It's a fun podcast. Talked about his life, his relationship with his dad, with his mom, with his stepdad. Dude's lived an interesting life. We kind of uncover that. Um, Family dynamics. You got a family? You got friends? Does it get weird sometimes? Do you really not know where you stand? Do you really not know who you're supposed to be? If this is confusing, go out and live a more interesting life. Let's do this podcast. Listen to Lauren's podcast called The Professional Amateur Podcast. I'll put a link on the Facebook post. In the meantime, let's do this with That was a good movie. Yeah, I don't know how much of my opinions are just regurgitated other smart people I know, but I, I stick with my opinions no matter where they came from.
0: Yeah, but what happens when your opinions change? Are you a wishy washy person, Joey?
1: Um, I like to my I like to think of myself as uh like very firm in what I believe in and having like moral standards and things I believe in and things I would do and things I wouldn't do. But uh no, absolutely not, man. I am very wishy washy. Okay,
0: okay, good. I'm 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 as fickle as they come. But I think that the product of my, the environment that I was raised in. I mean, I can't speak for you, but my, my childhood was, uh, we'll say, wishy-washy.
1: Nice segue. Why was it wishy-washy?
0: It was really, uh, okay, I'm an adopted child, uh, but I was raised by my biological mother in a group foster home. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, it's it's, it's a very strange thing to try and uh, get other people to wrap their heads around. But the long and short of that is that uh, my mom divorced and then married another guy who decided to adopt me to keep me away from my biological father, or at least to keep him from having to pay child support. I'm not exactly sure. And then they started a foster home. And so I had like rotating brothers and sisters every
1: two years. So you were adopted by your mother's husband. Yeah, yeah.
0: My stepdad became my adopted father.
1: In order to keep you away from your real father.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's two sides to every story. Yeah. And so depending on who you talk to, it was either to keep him away or to free him from the financial obligations of uh, child support, i.e. keeping
1: him out of jail. So it was either a
0: favor to him or a deterrent. No one's really sure.
1: Interesting. So. Yeah. You were raised with, uh, well, okay, let's just, I got a lot of questions. Um, is, your, <clears throat> is your biological dad a cool guy?
0: Um, I mean, on one, one side of the coin, of course, he was a very cool guy. He ran with the Iron Horsemen. He did all kinds of cool things with them. On the other side of the coin, he was a scary dude that stabbed people in the knees sometimes.
1: Okay, so he's a cool dude, but not, like, a good guy or a good father,
0: uh, I mean, definitely not like a person
1: that you want to be looking up
0: to in your formidable years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what is he? Uh, okay. What's he up to now? I'm just curious.
0: Now, I, I think he's just hanging out some, somewhere in, in a small town in Ohio. Just uh, actually, he has this weird habit of like collecting um, abandoned family members. So, like when when other people uh, associated with him will fall on hard times and and lose the rights to their children, he somehow finds his way to taking care of them for long periods of time. And I think currently he's taking care of like some third cousin of mine uh, and raising them as his own.
1: Whoa is he is he making up for previous wrongs?
0: Potentially, I don't know. Um, around the time that I turned eighteen, he uh, he was he was not in my life for a long time. Obviously. Uh, but he kind of like resurfaced, uh, when my grandmother, his mom had a stroke and I was still close with her. So I went to visit her in the nursing home and then he just like appeared and it was weird coincidence. And we just sort of buried the hatchet and started to get to know each other.
1: Um, but yeah, he he turned a weird leaf. How long had it been since you, so you run into each other, you're 18 and how long had it been since you guys had like been in contact?
0: Uh, I think it had been eleven years at that point. Whoa! Um,
1: Did you even recognize him? Yeah. Um. Yeah, because I mean, he has
0: an iconic look and okay. very specific tattoos. Okay. What yeah. was? Th- I mean, a handlebar mustache, ponytail, beer belly, reaper on his arm, like that. You know, he's. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's who I was imagining already. Um. Yeah. 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 <laughs> white White prison guy. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much.
0: I'm pretty sure he has a record.
1: What's the... Oh, wait, I thought he's been. I thought he's been to jail.
0: I'm pretty sure. Um, there are certain things that he just wouldn't talk about, and no matter how much beer you put in a person, they eventually just start, you know, stammering, and you can't get anything out of them.
1: Really? So the, you don't even... How You don't know a whole lot about your dad, then? I know a few
0: very vague details that I got from stories that he told when he was blackout drunk. Okay, Um and that's where I get the reference of like, you know, stabby, stabby Mcnee sometime-y and, okay. and a few other things. And, and yeah.
1: He's stabbed. So you do know he stabbed someone in the knee at some point, maybe multiple people.
0: Potentially, yeah. I mean, I, he definitely gave me the vibe that that was, that was a favor slash job that he would do for a certain organization sometimes. Oh, he's a gangster. And it may not be, ah, I know that he was friends with the Iron Horseman, and I know that he didn't have colors, so like he didn't, he wasn't a part of the 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 gang. But I know that he did things.
1: He was like, <laughs> and, a, he, and he he was the muscle. He was like an outside enforcer, I think. You know, uh. like if
0: they weren't, if their colors weren't allowed to be seen in that bar, they'd send uh, old old uh, Timmy Tim.
1: Wow, that's crazy, yeah, yeah. dude. So what's all right? right. So what? what's I, I'm just sounded this is like so far removed from what I was used to growing up and what my relationship with my dad is and was when I was a kid what's it what's it like now like what type of relationship do you have with your dad
0: um it, it's it's a lot of uh awkward non-communicating um like I said when I was 19 I started to get to know him a little bit and then uh ended up moving in with him for a short time. Oh really? And that whole it, yeah, I lived with him for about 6 months. And that situation deteriorated to a point where I looked at him and said, "All right, I'm going to go. And uh I wish you the best."
1: What what went what? Okay, first of all, why did you move in with him?
0: Um oh Jesus, man. Um I was living in Louisville, Kentucky at the time, and I was surviving on about uh, two slices of pizza a day because I worked in a pizzeria. Okay. And I was losing my mind, running out of money, running out of options, and uh, I could not move back in with my mother for personal reasons and sanity. Uh, And so I hit up the only other option that I had was my newly reconnected father, who said I always had a place at his house.
1: Okay, so you thought, all right, this is my opportunity. I can be alive and not move in with my mom, and I'll give my dad a chance.
0: Exactly, exactly. And so I moved into a single wide trailer with him, his old lady, uh, two full-time live-in daughters of hers, and then two other daughters that came every other weekend per visitation rights, and then two 20-something sons that would come and crash on the couch to quote, unquote, help the family. (laughs) And then there were four dogs, a cat, and a fish. In a trailer? In a single wide trailer.
1: Okay. And then what was, okay, and at what point, at what point, what drove you out of the trailer?
0: Um, There were uh, some medical issues amongst the family. And when I initially moved in there, Uh, everyone had a job. We were a wonderful redneck family. It was great. Um, and then slowly things whittled down to within, I don't know, three months of me living there. I was the sole income and I was paying all of the bills.
1: Oh, wow, man.
0: Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't want to speak ill of the situation. I did what I could to help support the family, but on the other side of every coin, it wasn't my family. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's a big family to support too.
0: Yeah, it was it was a very stressful time, and so like I said, it reached a, a fever pitch and a boiling point, and I was just like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go." Uh, love
1: were, you, bye. Were they okay? So you were like, "This is too much pressure on me to support an entire family of people I don't even really know." Was it? Yeah. And then also, did you were they grateful for the fact that you were the you were the man? You know.
0: I mean, they they would have, um, but like I said, there was a lot of medical issues going on in the family, okay. and that took sole focus. Like that, that was what was going on, and me losing my mind in the background, it was a secondary note.
1: Interesting. Okay, so they might have focused on the fact that you were overwhelmed and had too big of a burden to bail, too big of a burden to bear. But people were sick, so that was the main. That was the cause of the or the cause of concern
0: yeah yeah because i mean it was like a an issue of
1: mortality right so what did so then you say hey i can't be daddy i'm leaving yes how'd that go because they needed um
0: oh Mm -hmm. absolutely man um and 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 my my Dad, who in partly stress and partly falling down, had been basically uh, semi-bedridden for a month and a half because of his back okay. It just would not let go. Uh, and so he's staring at me going, okay, um, well, they had given me a, a blue Dodge Neon, and that's what I worked in. I, I delivered pizzas for, for a little pizza place up the road. <laughs> and he. the first thing that he said was... was I'm going to have to take the car back. I got to go back to work. Yeah. And it was such a crushing moment for that to be his initial response because it was so instantly pragmatic. It was instantly prioritized, you know what I mean? There yeah. was no sympathy for me leaving. There was no remorse for me leaving. It was simply get shit done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you want a little bit of that, moment. like, no, don't go, we love you, we miss you, we need you. But then it's like, well, this here's the logistics of you leaving.
0: Honestly, at the time, I was relieved that he reacted that way, because I was so fearful that he would react with something, you know, angry and negative, that for him to just be sort of flat and pragmatic, yeah. that was a relief
1: yeah i could see that being the case you know you're worried you're going to disappoint someone and then all of a sudden they're just like well i'm moving on with the logistics i don't have time to be emotional so right okay so then where where did you go
0: i um well when i when i hit the breaking point i uh i called my uh my stepdad my adopted father and i was like hey um, I know things are really bad between me and mom right now, but do you think you could sneak me into the basement? Okay. And he came and got me in a truck and, uh, we then went back to the house and he snuck me into the basement. And I think I lived there for like three days before mom found out. Um,
1: what was, okay. Yeah. What was the deal with you and, uh, you and your mom? What drove you out in the first place?
0: Um, she, uh, Well, um, (laughs) very, very contemporary religious background, Southern Baptist family. Okay. Um, I actually went to, um, Southern Baptist seminary for a couple of years because everyone had me convinced that I was going to be, uh, the music pastor that would change America.
1: Oh, wow. You were the savior. Yeah. Yeah. And so
0: when I dropped out of college and started slumming around Louisville, um, you know, drinking and and doing all kinds of debaucherous things like go and do a bar. Yeah. You know, things things became very strange very quickly. Um, and at the time where I called my my stepdad to come and pick me up, my mother and I hadn't spoken for I think two and a half years. Okay. Maybe a year and a half. I don't know. That whole time frame is fuzzy to me because, like I said, I was schlepping around Louisville, going to bars. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. All right, well, I do want to ask you, like, okay, so you were, uh, were you going to be, like, a worship leader or something?
0: Yeah, that was the idea. You know, I, I, was, I had a passion for music, and uh, everyone was, everyone in my, my hometown church was like, oh, you're going to be a great minister for God. And hearing that for, you know, the better part of six years, while you're trying to learn to play the guitar, you just kind of put the two together. Um, and then uh, some elder in the church pointed me to a school in Louisville, uh, that was specifically for ministry, and they had a really good music program, and they were actually accredited. And I was like, "Yeah, sure, why not? You know, this school doesn't require a foreign language, so let's go." I flunked Spanish.
1: Okay. All right. Then, uh, were you? Because I mean, I love this stuff, dude. Were you? Uh, were you? Did you buy in? Were you re- re- religious at the time?
0: I was. Um, I was as religious as my high school girlfriend needed me to be. Ooh, okay. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah.
1: It makes you, I mean, it makes sense to me, but I don't know if it would make sense to, uh, to a lot of people. Was Okay, so was she okay. very religious and needed you to be as well?
0: Um, it needed me to be is the wrong word. Like, I, I was on the surface, but as I, you know, started to, to get a little older, like, you know, 14, 15, 16, starting to uh, develop my own thoughts, Uh, I started to pull away from the church in the back of my head. And and my life outside of church started to look very different from, you know, my my life in little youth group. Okay. uh, and so, you know, while I was there, yeah, dude, I was the pony boy for church. I was, nah, that's bad phrasing, uh, star child, that works better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a churchy kid. Okay. And I was leading the youth worship team, and I was going on mission trips, and me and my high school girlfriend were the power couple of the youth group, and Right. I was going to go into the ministry, and she was going to be a pastor's wife, and then we went to college, and... Yeah, that's that's when the last bit of my, uh, you know, religious sensibilities crumbled because there were no more shackles anymore. I was free to think on my own entirely.
1: Wait, did you go to did you go to your girlfriend didn't go to the same school in Louisville? No, no.
0: She went to U of L.
1: Okay, so at that point in time, even though you were going to a Baptist university, right? Oh, yeah. You still felt the freedom to be Lauren, not who people want Lauren to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the reason for that is part of my my life being Lauren um, up in up here in Ohio, followed me to Louisville, a very dear friend of mine that I met while I was working at Kings Island who got me high for the first time, he went to school at another school in Louisville. Oh, probably.
1: yep. Okay, you got your, the center, your influence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the association. There's the, there's of the parties, you
0: yeah. know, there's my outlet for debaucherous activity. Uh, and yeah, my my mode of free thinking.
1: Yep. Dude, that's interesting, because I'm, I'm from this, I'm from a similar camp, man. I had pretty much a very similar story where i had that yeah definitely dude i went to like for a year i went to a a christian college in my hometown um but it was yeah yeah for sure man it was a similar thing and it was you know basically it it wasn't me and then once i was and then even when i was there i had i had like a debaucherous friend or like a couple debaucherous friends and i was like you know, we'll call it debauchery. You you get it. Uh, but it was like, yeah, that's what yeah. I wanted to do. I wanted to know what right. that was all about because I didn't connect with it. And it was that sort of, I didn't, I didn't Real. I had free reign, really. I could do whatever I wanted. I had a car, even though I was in my hometown and I was even living at home. I still was, I still like, I just didn't buy, I didn't buy it, man.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So and plus having a car to just
1: like run around and be free with.
0: Yes. That's basically like having wings.
1: It is. It is. It's it is crazy, man. It is wild. You do and it takes a I don't know, it took a long time for me to eventually get to the point where I had pretty much I mean, it was really like my religion to me was like it was shackles, dude. It was crazy. And I, oh, I yeah. looked at the shackles as like virtuous or something it was really and i'm not like a total i'm not like a heathen now you know but i'm like a good dude i mean i I, i'm good to people yeah exactly but it dude yeah i my religion was like shackling me from really even loving people to a degree it's really bizarre but
0: oh yeah i can definitely relate with like uh, especially when you say you're shackling you from loving people because some of the most condescending groups of people are wonderfully dressed church women with big hats on. Right. Yeah. And that was my, my mother and all of her friends. I mean, she didn't wear a hat, but
1: I know what you're saying. Yeah. 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 So what did, uh, how did mom find out that you were not the good Christian worship leading boy? And how did she take it?
0: Um, oh man, I think she'd always knew, like in the back of her head, yeah, uh, that I wasn't I wasn't really aligned with what I was you know putting out there and, and allowing to come to the service um, but I don't know if there was a specific moment when she realized because there was uh there was a moment when I decided that I wasn't gonna go to classes anymore and I was done with that school, and then the guilt and shame of that made me. Stop contacting my parents, and okay. I lived a hundred miles away. Right, so I sort of just faded into the ether. Unfortunately,
1: yeah, yeah. You you kind of put off the disappointing the parents. So you're like, I if I don't contact them, I may never have to actually deal with their disappointment.
0: I don't think I still have because. When I moved back home after living with my dad for a while, it it never really got brought up. You know, why'd you drop out of college? Why why aren't you in church anymore? My mom just started, you know, doing the wonderful church lady thing and, and evangelizing to me all over again. Right. I skipped the whole awkward moment of like, oh, what are you doing?
1: Oh, you did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just realized that. That's interesting.
1: Okay, well, then what drove you, what, like, fight between you and your mom drove you out of her house? Um, actually, it was over at Kia Rio. Okay.
0: All right. I needed a vehicle because my dad had taken the, the blue neon back, and so I needed a car so that I could, you know, get to and fro from a job and start getting back on my feet. And, uh... I found a Kia Rio, and it was $1,500, and I went to my mother and, and, and my stepdad, and I said, hey, I'm in, I'm in a very tight situation. Could I borrow this $1,500 uh, for this vehicle? And my mom pulled her phone out and started texting my dad. And my dad, who is deaf as a bell and blind as a bat, has his phone set up to read his text aloud. Okay. And so his phone went off and said something along the lines of, I don't think we should trust Lauren with another opportunity to not pay us any money back. So okay. on and so forth. I'm a debaucherous, terrible son. So on and so forth.
1: Okay. Do and you, then I left. Did you no. owe your parents money?
0: Um, oh, yeah, dude. I, 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 are you kidding me? Like when I was born, it cost him like
1: $32,000. Wait, when you were what?
0: I yeah, yeah, this is a dumb joke, but yes, I owe my parents a lot of money. Is
1: my point? Okay, no, I got you. Yeah, all right. Uh, okay. What I mean, you literally owed them. Like, do you still owe them?
0: Um. Yeah, I think so. For because they they bought me a jeep for like nine hundred dollars, and that's what my mother was referring to okay. over the fifteen hundred. Um, and I think I still owe them that technically. Uh. But again, things are very estranged with my with my parents, as you can tell. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wait. So what happened to that Jeep? That Jeep? Yeah.
0: Uh, It got a cracked transmission and it died in Louisville.
1: Okay. So your mom already is pissed because you still she's probably pissed because you owe her money. And then also you're a debaucherous kid. You didn't you dropped out of school. Yeah, the, you know, and on top of that, I don't call her enough. Okay. Do you... Okay, so now, how long... How old are you? Uh, 20... Oh,
0: I don't, uh, forgot, I had a birthday. I'm
1: 28. 28, okay, yeah, me too. Okay, so now, how long ago was, was all that?
0: All of that, uh, five years ago.
1: Okay, what's... I think, five or six years ago. Okay, so what's... uh. What's life like now between you and your mom and your, uh, your stepdad? Also, what's it, how is your relationship with your stepdad that adopted you?
0: Um, that is the best parental relationship that I have. Okay. I mean, he's never once condemned me for being a, a debaucherous individual. He's never once made me feel like a debaucherous individual. Um, he's never done anything other than support me and be kind
1: okay yeah
0: he's the reason that i'm not completely messed up in the head
1: okay i mean he's the guy that let you move into the basement exactly despite his wife you know being in a fight with the person moving into the exactly. basement Exactly. okay is he your dad is he like do you, do you consider him your dad
0: yeah, I've been referencing him as my stepdad just for clarity, but I mean, in, in my private life, like, that's my dad. When I talk about my biological father, that's usually the nomenclature that I use, my biological father, because he's the differentiation. He he was gone out of my life for like 11 years.
1: Right, right. So, you've always been, re- I mean, you've always been relatively chill with him. He's always been looking out. Yeah. Okay. And what's uh, what's your relationship with your mom now?
0: Um, we keep the peace. She's my mom. I love her. I can't stop loving her. I've tried. Yep. Um, and I'm her son, and that's never going to change. Uh, so we we just try and you know stay civil and love each other and stay in contact.
1: Okay. And then what's uh, just what's the relationship with dad now? Not not your your real dad i mean your biological dad but not your you know your father figure
0: yeah um he he and i talk occasionally very 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 uh sporadically um and usually it's just like hey how you doing or some dumb comment on facebook uh we're not very close um okay the, the things that happened when, when i left his house and the time was so stressful there's a lot of shame and guilt still bouncing around in the back of my head because of all that
1: yeah just a lot of messiness
0: yeah it's just messy man and i don't deal with messy i'm a very uh i'm a very black or white person and everything that we've been discussing are like the gray areas of my life and i don't navigate that stuff well at all
1: well i mean i'll tell you it does i can i don't know i mean you You kind of, you're pretty brief on it, but it sounds like there's a lot of room for manipulation when you're in a household where you're supporting everyone, but at the same time, the focus isn't on you, it's on someone else. There's a lot of, I'm sure you were manipulated quite a bit into a lot of things and treated like shit because someone else was sick. And you know, I'm sure they treated you like, oh, you you have a responsibility to support this family. We need you. You have to do this. Yeah. You know, it was an assumption. Right. That's that's tough, dude. I feel you. So I, I does a lot of does some of the guilt come from like, oh man. Part of me feels like I wasn't there for my family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, I've been in, like, not with my family, but I've been in similar situations, Um, and I, I mean, I don't know the whole situation, but I really feel like you don't have anything to feel guilty about, and you should feel good about the the good that you did do to try to help.
0: I appreciate your perspective, Joey. I, I do. But I don't know. I will always be my worst critic and my biggest enemy, unfortunately.
1: You should be. I I think that's the way it should be. I think you should hold yourself to a high standard and then let other people forgive you when you don't meet theirs. Right. So what was, yeah, I I do want to get to, what was it like living in a foster home with your own mother?
0: Um. It was very interesting because my mom had a rule that I I was always to be the youngest kid in the house. So they started doing this when I was three. So when I was three, I have these very fuzzy memories of like the first couple of kids that they had in their house. There was a dude named Matt and some chick, I can't remember. Um, But I bonded with Matt hard for like two years and then Matt was gone and he was replaced by Buddy and Connie and a few others and... Um, and that cycle repeated where I would bond with these kids for like, you know, a few months or a year or whatever it ended up being. And then e- either a family member would open up that would want to take them in. And so they'd, they'd go and live with them or, uh, some other, you know, shifting cycle within the child services in Warren County would happen. And they'd be like, ah, oh, well, we've got to take these kids from you and give you these other kids. Or, um, it was just, it was like an eight month ro- eight month rotation of siblings.
1: Okay, Um, so was that difficult, the fact that it was like substitute brothers and sisters all the time?
0: It wasn't difficult until I became an adult, and I realized that, you know, people aren't disposable. Yeah. You, you You can't just attach yourself to a person for eight months and then get bored and then move on to a whole different group of friends. Like that's not how the world works. You need to develop bonds and roots that actually have lasting relationships. Otherwise, you'll never feel you know fulfilled.
1: Yeah. How old were you when you started realizing like, yo, I, I that you can't take my best friends away from me? You know.
0: Um. Unfortunately, man, it was like three years ago. It's very recent that I, I I had to come to 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 terms with. Oh, I do need people in my life for a long period of time I do need a support system not just a revolving door of entertainment via faces
1: yeah okay interesting you need someone that you can call and will always kind of be there because would you just pretty much lose touch every time a new bro or new sis came in
0: uh yeah absolutely um I have there is one exception to that rule and uh He's a guy that I refer to as my brother, but we're not blood. He was just uh, one of the people that happened to come in. But he was one of the last that came in. And there's a lot of drama wrapped around this particular kid. Um, and he's actually the reason that my parents stopped doing foster care because the state revoked their license because of him.
1: What happened?
0: He bonded with my mom, bonded with me, bonded with my stepdad. He was at home there. Um, very troubled case. Like, you know, mom was a stripper and, uh, all of the stereotypes you can think of that go with that. Yeah. That was his childhood. And so he came to us, who was a very, you know, regular, uh, routine family. Granted, you know, a little weird cause we had extras, but yeah. he had stability all of a sudden and he latched onto that. And so when they pulled him out of our home for whatever dumb reason and put him in a group home, he ran away. and then he contacted my mom and my mom helped him get some new shoes with a bank account that she had in his name and that's when the state came and was like you've been in contact with John you're going to help us get him back or you're going to lose your license
1: and then did your mom refuse? so she lost her license because she was like oh yeah she
0: made one attempt she made one attempt to try and bring him in but I think she ended up doing something in the middle of it that, like, warned him to just bolt. Oh, wow. And so they didn't get a hold of him. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So imagine from age three to age 14, you have a revolving door of family members, and then all of a sudden you're in high school, and it's just you and your parents in the house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and so. by the way, they had built a house to house all of these kids. So I'm living in a ten-bedroom home, right? With three people living in it, and all this empty space, and all these cobwebs that we're trying to keep up with. Uh, it was a really harsh transition, and uh, my freshman year of high school. I actually, I was I was a terrible child. I was a horrible child. I did all of these terrible things, acting out. Didn't realize why until you know much later.
1: Okay. Okay, so at when you were 14 when this kid ran away yeah how old was this kid
0: um he was 16 about to turn 17 so i wasn't quite 14 yet i was probably 12 or 13 when all this was going down um because he was like in another year it wouldn't have
1: mattered because he would have been 18 and legal you know what i mean right right that's that's wild man that's wild. Why did it, do you know why they do that? Why they rotate kid? Why, why is there, what, why do they rotate kids I, necessarily?
0: I, I, it's a variant of reasons, or at least it was back then. Um, it could have been a thing where uh, they'd put a kid in our home and they'd be like, this kid's only going to be here for four months and then something else is going to happen and they're, they're, you're, this is just a transition spot for them. But from my perspective, as like, you know, say a nine year old, right? you make somebody live with them for four months, they're part of the family.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then man. all of a
0: sudden they're gone. Um, and then, or, you know, say we get a, a, a set of brother and sister and everything's up in the air with the courts and they don't know what's going to happen with them. And all of a sudden they've been living there for a year before they can go and live with their aunt. And uh, yeah, they're part of the family. All
1: of a sudden, they're gone. Yeah, it's it's tricky, man. I, human life is weird. I think it's so like respond like kids. You don't just make a human life, and then it's just a human life. Like you need to be someone needs to re- be responsible for another human being. So it's this weird thing when people aren't ready to have children, and they can't handle the burden. They can't do right by the life that they created something has to happen and everyone's just kind of doing their best to make sure someone that was born into bad circumstances lives a fulfilling life and has the best opportunities, but it's not, you know, there's no right answer, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very tricky, man. Um, I've got uh, a a couple of friends of mine that, that recently got married. Um, they actually asked me to officiate their wedding, which was a bizarre experience for me. Oh, wow. But they're taking care of a kid that, through some trickling of their family, has no one to take care of it. Or him, rather. Yeah. And I would have never expected that couple to, to you know, have a child going into their marriage. But that's just how it worked out. Because, like you said, everyone's just trying to do the best they can.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's cool that you kind of learned that. And even if it was later in life, you kind of like learned what went wrong and why, you know, how it affected yeah. you. You know, you need You need to have a support system. You need to have people you can yeah. count on, so. For sure. What's, um, okay. What's, if you can, all right, if you, this is what I've been doing lately. If you can tell people, What like something? I mean, it can be anything from this podcast or anything. If you could tell people, like, hey, this is something I've learned in life, you should know this. Take it or leave it, but I've I've lived a life, and Um, this is what people should know. My
0: parting thoughts: Um, number one, and then beyond anything else in this world, be kind. It's it's old, it's cliche, it's it's washed up And you've heard it too many times But that's because it's true and it works If you're just nice, if you're just kind If you have a certain level of empathy Toward any given person Your entire life is going to get better And so will everyone else around you That's
1: it Okay, yeah No, that's like That's perfect, man I like that Cool, I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever regretted, like, man, I wish I was less kind to that guy.
0: <laughs> I wish I was a jerk-off more, you know?
1: I wish, yeah, I wish I just made people feel worse.
0: <laughs> I just want to be a blight on everyone. Why yes. can't I be that more? I just
1: want to be. <laughs> I just want to bring everyone down. <laughs> All right, plug your uh, plug your podcast, plug your comedy What do you got? Uh,
0: I do comedy in Cincinnati. Um, You can catch me at all of the crappy open mics around town. Um, But more importantly, I do have a podcast. It's called Professional Amateurs Podcast. Lauren's search for a co-host. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Podcast. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Showcase all of the other wonderful amateur talent here in Cincinnati.
1: Right on. Are you still running an open mic? uh,
0: Yeah.
1: I wish... I, uh,
0: I started an open mic, a showcase, and a podcast all at the same time. And the podcast is the only thing that survived. So, uh,
1: yeah, yeah long sticks, pro-am. Hey, something stuck. Yeah, exactly.
0: I just threw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and then threw a lot of hope with it.
1: Yeah, and out stuck a podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, right on, man. I got to call VA Bennett, but uh, this has been dope. Let me know if you want to do this again. Okay. For real.
0: Absolutely, man. I'm down anytime.
1: All right. Take it easy, buddy. Be well. Peace.